Palm Sunday. What an interesting day. A day named after branches which aren't even really mentioned in our text today. You may have noticed in, in Matthew, Matthew's account, as uh, we heard earlier, that you know, in verse 8 it says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. It doesn't really say what kind of branches. We make that inference based off of other Gospels which do note palm branches, but Matthew's Gospel doesn't even say that palm, palms are a part of this. But this is the day in which we honor a public spectacle of communal defiance. A public spectacle of communal defiance. And, and here's what I mean. During the days that our text takes place, Rome has occupied Israel. And Roman law, especially Roman tax laws, are severely oppressive for the Jewish people. Every amount of money they earn ends up getting taken by the Roman regime. So, as with any oppressed community, they start looking for a way to restore their freedom. The Jewish people do. They're looking for any possible way that they could find some hope of liberty in all of this. And so, as many of us are often prone to do in hard times, they begin reminiscing on the days of old when Israel was a great and mighty nation, when, when King David ruled and there was prosperity. These are the days they long to get back to. These are the days that are written about in all of their heritage, these days in which King David had... had uh, seemingly single-handedly, but we know by the power of God, had, had brought together this great kingdom of Israel. And this was the day that they had hoped for for many centuries and now longed to get back to. But there was also those days that came not long after David had passed away, which we might refer to as the dark days of Israel's exile. The days in which Israel was taken out of their home by the rules of the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians. And during this time, several prophecies were made. During this exile time, there were several prophecies that came from the prophets that, that talked about a Messiah. This person who would be born from the lineage of David, who would do all of these incredible things. And, most importantly, who would who would restore all of Israel to their former and even a higher glory, this Messiah. So the people of Jesus's day began to see all of the incredible things that, that Jesus was doing and heard all of the amazing teachings about God's kingdom coming and thought, maybe this is our guy. Maybe this is the person we've been looking for. Maybe this is the Messiah. The one who will do these incredible miracles and will have these incredible teachings. The one who will be from the lineage of David. The one who will restore us to greater glory. Maybe this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. So the timing seemed right. You know, once again, Israel was under this great oppression, very similar to whenever they were in exile, but not exactly the same, but still reminiscent of it. The timing was right, and then we see Jesus hopping on some donkeys and riding into Jerusalem in this triumphal entry. And the whole sight 
it resembles a king riding into the capital to assume a throne. There's this great parade and all of this celebration and all of this is going on. And this seems like the moment that the people have been waiting for. The moment that Rome gets what they deserve. The moment the rightful king assumes the throne. The moment everything changes for the oppressed people. So the crowds take to the street and begin parading in a way that would let Rome know that they won't take it anymore. They're not, that they're not going to stand up to Rome's oppression anymore. That they're ready for a regime change. And here comes their king. That's what this whole parade's about. It's a public spectacle of communal defiance. Coming up right here in the midst of Jerusalem. Lining the streets, the people begin throwing their coats on the ground for Jesus to pass over, a sign of honor and respect. And they take branches from the trees for this parade, this march that's meant to reflect those of the powerful Romans whenever they would parade into town after a conquest. All of this is leading to, at least what the people expect to be, Jesus overthrowing Rome and saving all the people. Saving all the people. This is what the people are crying out here. That word, Hosanna. I want us to take a moment and explore that word, Hosanna. This, this isn't just some like weird uh, exultation like saying yay. Hosanna is a very uh, impactful word. The word Hosanna uh, is kind of a, it's a Greek term that, that's taken out of uh, Psalm 118. Uh, which means, save us, we pray. Save us, we pray. That's what Hosanna means. We, like I said, you can find it in Psalm 118. Uh, this expression, save us, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. They are crying out. And in the context in which the people are using it, it, it even looks more like a, a, a noun, which they're declaring Savior. Savior, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You are the one who's going to save us. In this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the people are shouting, Here comes our Savior. Make way. Savior in the highest heaven. The people needed a Savior. The people really needed a Savior. And they knew that. They needed someone to come in and release them from oppression and restore them to glory. They've been hoping for this for such a long time, this restoration. And so they called out, save us, because they were desperate to be saved from all that seemed horrible in the world, namely the Roman regime. But here's the thing, the hard truth we kind of have to grasp, all of us, not just the people of Jesus' day, but us as well. Jesus doesn't save the way we may want. Jesus doesn't save the way that we may want. One of the things that I used to always find striking is that the writer here in Matthew spent so much time talking about the donkeys. Did you get that? Like there, there are, uh, it's, it's up to set the first seven verses of these 11 that we had read today are just about the donkeys. That's a lot of time. There isn't a whole lot of time spent on the fanfare. There's a lot more time spent on the donkeys. Why do you think that is? Why would there be so much time being spent on 
donkeys, two of them. Well, for one, consider this. No king in their right mind would choose to ride a donkey. No king would want to ride a donkey. Kings ride on horses. They are the regal form of transportation. Everybody knows this. If you've, if you've seen any uh, movie from medieval history earlier, then you know kings ride on horses, not donkeys. Peasants ride on donkeys. Donkeys are working animals. Most of their function, in Jesus' day especially, uh, was to drag plows through the ground to prepare soil for planting. That's, that was their primary function. They were, they were meant to prepare this soil. So, but whenever they weren't doing that, whenever they weren't working in the field, donkeys were just carrying people's cargo. Donkeys were the peasant's animal. They were cheap. Easy to, easy to manage, they weren't, they're not very high maintenance, they, and they can you know, do the work that, that people don't want to do. There's a reason, you may notice, that donkeys are often referred to as beasts of burden. It's because they took the burden that people either could not or did not want to carry. Take that in for a moment. Donkeys would carry the burden that people either could not or did not want to carry. This is the animal that Jesus chooses to take for his triumphal entry. It's not a horse. It's not a lion, which that would be really cool. It's not an elephant. It's not any of these spectacular animals. It's a very commonplace animal, a working animal. It's a donkey. There's so much here in just the fact that Jesus chooses to take a donkey that I would love for us to unpack today. But most importantly, out of all of that, I want us to understand the statement that Jesus is making here, because it's a very intentional thing that Jesus is doing by taking donkeys in on his triumphal entry. Jesus is saying, by riding in on a donkey, I am not the king you want. I am not the king you want. Remember, the, the Jewish people, they're looking for somebody to liberate them. Nobody wants to live under these oppressive tax laws. Nobody in the history of ever, except for those who benefit from taxes, have ever enjoyed taxes. And so the people are, are trying to, uh, are seeking some form of liberation. And so they expect a king riding in on a horse. A king who's going to come in with a warlike demeanor. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus chooses a humble form of entry to say, I am not the king that you want. Jesus knows. And his disciples should too. And really all the people should know that at the end of all of this, this triumphal entry, everything that's to pass in this next week, at the end of all of it is no human throne, but rather a criminal's cross. At the end of all of this celebration and pomp and circumstance, there's the cross. And yet he still takes this ride because the people are right. The people, believe it or not, they are right. They do need to be saved. As the people are crying out, Hosanna, save us, we pray. Savior, come. 
their cries of Hosanna, they're heard by the king of kings. But this king knows something that we refuse to accept. We need to be saved in a way that we may not want to be saved. We need to be saved in a way we may not want to be saved. Throughout his life and ministry, Jesus has been declaring two things. Repent and the kingdom of God is near. Repent, now, uh, doesn't just mean stop sinning. It means completely change your life. That word repent means to turn around, to completely change one's way of life. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is near. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we are supposed to completely change our lives in order to get into the kingdom of God. It means that the kingdom of God is realized here on earth right now when we do change our lives. When our lives are transformed, we begin to see the kingdom of God breaking through here and now. So what do we need to be saved from? Why does Jesus oblige this crying out for, from the people, Hosanna, save us, we pray? Yes, on the one hand, we need to be, they need to be saved from the Roman occupation. But if that happens, if the people are saved from the Roman occupation, another tyrannical regime will rise up. And, you know, we've kind of seen this throughout all of human history. At, one, at what point did an empire fall that another empire didn't rise up? It's just the way things have worked in, our, uh, in human history. And, but the only way to prevent oppression specifically the oppression of an empire like this, is to change the way people see one another. So what do we need to be saved from? We present day. Yeah, the, we need to be saved from the coronavirus, but there could always be another virus waiting to come along, af waiting to come along after us. If we want to truly heal from this, if we want to be saved from this virus, then we need people to take the lives of others seriously and stay at home. So what do we need to be saved from? Remember, we need to be saved. It's just we don't always get the full picture of what we need to be saved from. I might be so bold to say that we need to be saved from a world that we create. We need to be saved from a world which we create. What I mean is, we always believe that we know what is best for us. And so we pursue it, and we try to create a world that's meant to suit us, that's meant to cater to our needs. The only problem is, a world that caters to me, specifically me, the, a world that caters to, to just me is not so nice to, say, my sister who works to make my clothes on the other side of the world for pennies. A world that caters to me is so, not so nice to my brother who works tirelessly in the fields for my food just for me to throw half of it away because I ate too much. A world that caters to me always neglects somebody. And so if Jesus would have come in and, and overthrown Rome, then we might have seen kind and loving Roman citizens 
lose everything. We might have seen their worlds completely crumble and deaths on their part as well. We need saving from a world which we create because the only world crafted, because, because only the, a world crafted in God's image is going to be a world that is good for us all. Only a world crafted in God's image is going to be good for us all. Jesus comes to save us, but the, problem, the thing is that we have to grapple with is that it's not always going to be in the way that we want. He's not riding in with guns blazing just to make a few people happy. Because that would have made, you know, many people in Jerusalem very happy for Jesus to come up in there to completely overthrow Rome and to build up this great kingdom of Israel. But that's not what Jesus does. He's riding in humbly because there are things in our lives that we overlook that we need to be saved from far more. We do need to be saved, even in this time. The only thing is, we tend to overlook those things which are more important for us to be saved from. The crowds draw near to Jesus, shouting, Hosanna, save us, we pray, because they at least know that they need to be saved. Only Jesus knows that we need to be saved in a far more uncomfortable way. We need our lives to look different. We need our lives to be transformed. So, my question to challenge us today is, what are those things that are overlooked in our lives from which we need to be saved? What are those things that are overlooked in our lives from which we need to be saved? We all need a change in our lives. But the greatest challenge is asking for help. And my hope is that this week, in the midst of all of this oppression that this virus is causing, we might draw near to shout, Hosanna, save us, we pray, that our lives might look a lot more like Christ and a lot less like selfishness. Because in a time of this global pandemic, you know, the, the experts have kind of been telling us what to do from the very beginning. Stay away from other people, and wash your hands. The virus is still spreading, though, because we have plenty of people who are not doing that because they are trying to craft the world in their own image, a world that suits them, a world that caters to them, but a world that's going to be good for us all is one that is mindful of every single person. We need to be saved from ourselves trying to make a world that is the best one for me and to be transformed into trying to let God craft a world that is best for everybody and gives glory to God. So let us draw near to God in this time. Let us draw near to shout Hosanna, recognizing that we are in need of a Savior. And let us pray this morning.